Stop. Right, so we're recording now, Sam. <laughs> so. <laughs> Episode six. Havoc and Chaos, a podcast for everything dog. Episode 6. Welcome to episode 6. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I told you. <laughs> episode 6 of Havoc and Chaos. There's what? some chaos happening right now. Can what? I just stop this fight? There's no fight. There's just two dogs deeply in love. Okay. Uh, so what are we going to be talking about this week, Sam? So this week's episode, uh, very much uh, looking forward to doing this one. It's going to be on noise sensitivity. Yeah. So noise phobias or noise sensitivities in dogs. I think it's one of those topics that lots of people have had experience with and not many people know yeah. how to fix. A lot of discussion about it in the, every year when... when every year usually, usually happens about October yeah. is I get lots and lots of messages saying, what do I do for bonfire night in two weeks' time? Yeah, it's tomorrow. <laughs> Help. Um, and it went wrong on bonfire night, but it's New Year tomorrow. What can I do? Oh, dear. Yeah. Uh, so, types of noise sensitivity, first of all. What can dogs be sensitive about? What are some typical ones that you might find that your dogs are a bit phobic of? Yeah. Uh, so, we've got the traditional fireworks. Uh, fireworks is a big one for most dogs. I think uh, dogs with firework issues, especially if you live out in the countryside, you've got your gunshots, lots of gun dog failures. Um, fireworks, cars, loud vehicles, motorbikes, that kind of thing. Lorries, motorbikes, yeah, lorries. those are, I think people call it traffic sensitivity, but sometimes it's not necessarily the vehicles, it's the it's the actual sounds yeah. that they make. Dryers, hair dryers, yeah. hoovers, hoovers. lawn mowers. You don't need to worry about hoovers, are they? Because as an old trainer that we used to be friends with um, said, have you only got one room? Yeah, <laughs> just, just put, your dog, put your dog put your dog in another room. room in your house. Uh, no, well, pop your dog in there and hoover in there. Problem solved. I was just think that was funny with because um, Roxy used to chase the lawnmower and uh, and the answer to that was, have you got doors? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just put just yeah. put your dog in the house. Yeah. Fixed. Fixed. But no. Here's my bill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so lots of noise, lots of types of noise sensitivities. Have you ever had a dog with yes. any noise issues? Yeah, my, my lab, I think we mentioned it in the interview that's coming up. Uh, my lab is sensitive, very sensitive to fireworks. We were actually on shift at Aston Villa and the kids were launching fireworks to each other at ground level outside. Oh, God. One went outside. The big metal turnstile doors. One went off straight outside I nearly pooed myself. It was real. It was that loud. And the dog just went, we've finished now. Then I'm going back to the van. And she <laughs> literally went back to the van. And from that day forth, she's been really bad with fireworks. I think that's a reasonable reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And she shuts down completely. She's yeah. one or two bangs and pops. And she's like, I'm done now. So Roxy's also quite sensitive mm. to fireworks. Yeah. Um, she'll shake. She'll pant. Um, I did try her... Uh, on some calming drugs this yeah. year, but they didn't suit her, and she ended up vomiting as well. Um, so through stress. Through stress, yeah. I don't think it was because of the drugs. I think it was that she got herself into such a state yeah. she would have vomited anyway. And uh, I was told that the the calming drugs that we tried can work well for some dogs, but for others, if the stress is too much, then the adrenaline will just override, so mm. it wouldn't have worked. And I think that's just where we're at with it at the <clears> moment. <throat> so we're still kind of exploring um, desensitisation in that way for her. And it's hard to do. I know a lot of people who you, you get that bonfire night thinking up and people give you, oh, just do this, like it's really easy. Just yeah. do this. And, and an art. It's not that easy. No, it it's isn't. Not easy. If you're out there and you're failing miserably at working with noise sensitivities, firstly... Consult a trainer, a good trainer. But secondly, don't put yourself down because it's hard to do. And all these people have got, oh, I, I just did this in mine. They've probably got a dog that's pr my first dog, my first dog, Sasha. So cool. We used to take her to firework displays. You could yeah. take her to a firework display off lead. She'd sit and watch fireworks. She's cool as hell. And she didn't care about fireworks. And I think there's a lot of people like that that give you good advice, like, well, you just need to do this. Because they got lucky in their dog. Yeah, they got lucky, they got that dog. And then when your dog's trying to tear a hole through your drywall and torn three doors off, and you're thinking, this ain't working for me. 
Yeah, it can be hard. It can be hard when some are a bit more sensitive than others. How, if you were going to go about desensitising to sounds of fireworks, how would you go about it? What's your favourite sort of? My favourite is I, I got some, uh, two things. Two things. One fireworks. You can find it on. There's fireworks on Spotify, so you mm. can get firework noise on Spotify. You can get firework noises and flashes on YouTube. So it's all good. And as usual, your Bluetooth speaker's got volume one, two, three, four, five, and so on. So you can start off at a quiet volume and then increase it next week and next week and make sure that good either good fun stuff happens to desensitise it, or you habituate so the dog just gets used to that background noise. Um, That's interesting. I'm going to put you on the spot now. What is, just for everyone listening, what is the difference between desensitising and habituating? Habituation is basically where the dog gets used to there being a noise around. There's no great benefit to the dog, there's no reward, there's no, there's no nothing. The dog just goes, it's been going on for so long now, I'm used to it. Whereas with desensitising, we're going to say to the dog, hey, this noise happens, but then some good stuff happens, and this noise happens, and good shit happens. And we work on it and build it and build it, and make it's more involved. Yeah. Whereas the habituation is just constant background humdrum noise or whatever. But also, so I play noises in the background and do stuff for the dogs. Sometimes nothing to do with noises, just a bit of training. And then Sarah and my little pup was very nervous of traffic noise. All right. And so was my collie, actually. You know, Meg. Was she? Really bad with traffic, yeah. And I used bat. Did you? Yeah, upside streets. So I'd wander back and forth up and down side streets, bringing the closest... If we, we'll cover bats in a further episode, but basically it's a process where we take the dog to a distance where the dog can cope with the stimulus. Dog can cope with the stimulus, in this case the traffic noise, and we advance towards the traffic noise until the dog starts to show a sign as that she's going, well, I'm not really that comfortable with this. And at that point then, we'll allow the dog to turn around, we'll reward her if she makes the correct choice and turns around, and then we retreat again. And then we repeat again, and retreat, and repeat, and retreat. It's and very so simplistic, yeah, but yeah. we'll cover um, it in more detail. And um, that's what I used to do, side streets. Can I ask, are you... So in terms of Meg, specifically, mm-hmm. with her traffic issue, Yeah. are you sure it was definitely noise? No. Or was it just traffic in Hard general? to isolate. It, <clears throat> yeah. she's, a, she's a border collie, so it could have been movement to wheels and stuff, but... She could also be very nervous of traffic noise in the garden because we back onto a fairly busy road. Oh, OK, yeah, yeah, of course. And if a lorry rumbled past, she'd be like, whoa, and she'd kick off and shout and yell at it. Um, whether or not she'd got the idea that that meant there was a truck coming and she knew what that looked, felt, sounded like. Yeah, of but course. certainly a certain level of noise sensitivity. And then my other favourite one, we're talking about habituation, is just sit on a bench next to a road and play games with a dog, give her a cuddle, off mm. the trees. I, I heard a really because obviously one of the issues. <laughs> Excuse me, the coughs. So obviously one of the issues with the playing the sounds through Spotify, um, through your sort of sound system or through TV or YouTube, that sort of stuff is a lot of people have who've got noise sensitive dogs have tried playing those sounds and tried playing things through Spotify and speakers and and so forth. But then they find that the dog can listen to those fireworks at massive yeah. volumes, but yet still can't cope with the realistic um I, I do think the dog senses more than that. I know with mine, if I play firework noises quite often, they'll look pretty cool with it. I mean, including Crash. Yeah. And then there can be a firework in a far distance, and that combination of noise, possibly like a pressure, shock, sound wave that they, they feel... The light flickering outside, because sadly I've got a glass wall in the end of my house and there's no curtains, so I can't shut them out. If there were curtains, they'd wreck them <laughs> anyway. Um, so they, I can't make it dark for them. Um, I can pop them in a crate and put a cover over it, but then they get all trembly and upset. And I think there's more to it, especially fireworks. I think a lot of noises you can work with quite easily. But I... fireworks are toughy because there's more to a firework than just a yeah. whiz-bang. I heard one interesting or quite novel way of getting used to that kind of rumbling or that that pressure as well that that fireworks that combination is to um, walk across uh, bridges that go over main roads. So it gets used to that that vibration. Oh, like the moving, yeah, and shaking, that moving, wobbling, shaking, bridge. Yeah, that kind yeah. of rumbling kind yeah, of maybe. sound. Um, get it's something that get your dog used to the vibrations. Mm. That's an option for it. Yeah. So, yeah, playing sounds can work to a point, um, but obviously at some point the fake sound, I think, 
doesn't quite cut it yeah. when there's a realistic sound. I think one of my favourite ways, uh, it's quite recent that I've been doing this, but what I like to do with noise-sensitive dogs is play, instead of create the noise and then feed the dog and try and make them feel better that way, because sometimes if they're scared of the noise, you know, feeding them, you can accidentally teach them that the food is... Uh, you know, yep. going to precursor to the noise. I'm going to treat my. We're sitting in the yeah. kitchen. Get ready. There's going to be scary. There's going to be some scary things yeah. happening. Yeah. So another option that I've found that's quite successful is noise creation games. Yeah. So this excites me because yeah, it annoys me that I've not thought of this before. <laughs> so this is something. <laughs> this is something I like to do. I'm doing it with a couple of dogs at the moment. But the way that it would work would be, so to start with, you teach them the concept of like a noise creation game. So do it somewhere where it's going to be quite a soft sound. So, for example, teach your dog to knock over a bottle onto the carpet. So something really, really... Or a pile of Tupperware or something. That's a little make a box of Tupperware. Nice yeah, something that yeah. just sort of flops onto the carpet. Really, really easy. And then what you do is maybe take that to the kitchen where there's tiled floor. Get them to knock the bottle over and you'll get that kind of clattering. Yeah. If that startles them at that point, then we know that at that point we need to sort of stay with this game, make sure that the celebration is really huge until the point where your dog is like barreling into the bottles, knocking them flying, causing all sorts of sounds. And then we'd start to teach. So um, I'm thinking of a particular client um, who's on my mind at the moment, and we've now moved on to saucepan lids. So we knock saucepan lids. Clattery, noisy. Really like a sharp, tinny sound. Nasty kind of noise. Yeah, and he's got to a point where that's a little bit startling for him so we're not making it any harder than that and if he does a particularly big uh start startle then what we're going to do is we'll once he's knocked the lid over is we then go back to a much much easier version of yeah. the of the startling sound so then we do like a because it's in lid. your control yeah it's entire you're not waiting for noises or something outside or a car to drive past yeah. you can go you know what dog's having a bit of an off day today a bit of a crap day we can wind it back. We'll take our Let's just do some easy away. stuff. We can yeah. put a plastic yeah. picnic plate in its space. You we can do, do something easier. Uh, filled with pebbles. Yeah. Knock them don't so it's like a little bit, dog. don't throw don't them throw at the dog. dog, but let them like sort of yeah. shake it around a little bit. Um, another fun one is like closing cupboard doors. Yeah. And causing that bang themselves. Yeah. Um, maybe teach them to hit a bell. Maybe teach them to ring, you know, bells, things like that. So yeah. noise creation games uh, and then reinforcing that can get your dog used to those loud sounds in a in an environment or in a situation where they get to opt out of the game mm. if they've decided yeah. that it's too hard, rather than I've got a bag of treats and I'm going to pop I'm a gonna balloon. I'm going to keep making that and noise. Then, <laughs> I'm going to yeah. keep stuffing treats down which is if you don't really spot the little tiny nuances that the dog's giving out, it's very easy to tip them. A little bit too far. Nice. I think so. What we, what you were saying earlier about uh, like a desensitization program or protocol. I think, especially with noise sensitive dogs, if you don't have a trainer keeping an eye on what you're doing, or you're not really paying attention to how your dog's responding, you can very easily actually sensitize your dog to something instead of desensitizing. Very easy to venture into flooding into it. Really well. easy. So you just keep playing that noise, and you go, My dog's fine, and your dog just sat in the corner going, I'm just ignoring it because I hate it. But... Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah. An o- that's another thing. Now, these are kind of quite typical desensitization protocol so you gradually make the noise louder and louder and louder until your dog can prove that they're no longer scared of it and once you've got past that then you end up with a dog that's no longer noise phobic which is absolutely perfect hopefully now uh obviously there's lots and lots of lots of dogs uh, lots of people lots of trainers even that struggle with noise sensitivity because even following a really close desensitization protocol the dog doesn't seem to get better or sometimes yeah, seems to get progress. much worse. The yeah. benefit of using a good trainer is that a good trainer will monitor progress. Yep. Whereas you might sit in the kitchen thinking, oh, I'm sure I've done everything, I'm going to carry on. Whereas yeah. a good trainer might notice and go, hang on, we ain't making the progress that I'd expect to make at this point. Yeah. And so we've decided to get a, a friend of ours, friend of the show. Friend of the show. Uh, Alice Watts. She's a clinical animal behaviourist, a pre-cert, I think. I think she's close to being certified. Yeah. And she did her uh, dissertation on noise phobias and uh, the relation that noise phobic dogs have with musculoskeletal pain. So what we'll do is we're going to go straight to the interview that we did with Alice. Um, Have a listen to Alice and us having a chat. And we're back in a little while. Hi, we've got our new guest live on the show. Um, 
Alice, introduce yourself. Hello, um, so I'm Alice. I am a trainer, pre-certified clinical animal behaviourist. I've got a dog, a cat and two snakes. And I work full-time in rescue and then run my own business consulting on the side. So I'm I'm a busy bee. Fantastic. That sounds really good. And a clinical animal behaviourist, you're going to be on this show more than once. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Then next time we just go like, what the bloody hell is that? We're like, so what we're going to hopefully, what we're going to, get my northern accent under control, what we're hopefully going to do with today is discuss noise phobias and noise reactivity with you. Because I believe that you did a bit of a dissertation on it. I did. It was a few years ago now. Um, but yes, my my undergraduate dissertation was on, on the relationship between musculoskeletal pain and noise sensitivities. Yeah. So we found... we. We've talked about you and your work and we looked at your dissertation and we read it. Now, we've been reading stuff, haven't we? Uh, yeah, I've been reading through it as well. And, you've, uh... you've made us geek out. Right? <laughs> and we've learned loads, haven't we? Yeah, so I think we've got a couple of questions for you, Alice, yeah. because obviously we come at noise sensitivity or noise phobias in, in dogs occasionally through work, especially myself working with pet dogs get a few clients where, you know, the dogs have got firework phobias or they're not very fond of gunshots, dogs that sort of panic or flee, those sorts of behaviours. And traditionally, I would always come at those sorts of problems through sort of a desensitisation protocol. But then we sort of got discussing, didn't we, when yeah. that when does that not work? And then maybe are there other components? And so oh. we'd love your insight into... All yeah. the ways to make a decision as to what to use. Yeah. Dependent so, on whether you think it's a pain or a... Yeah. So I guess my first question, Alice, is can you give us a bit of your background in working with dogs with noise phobias? Yes. Yeah, so um, I did um, an undergrad in animal behaviour and welfare, and then my postgraduate was on in clinical animal behaviour, which has given me my pre-certification. Um, I did this at the University of Lincoln, who um, anyone that's sort of in the dog training world, we'll know the University of Lincoln have some top, top, top behaviourists and professionals um, in the industry. And they're probably world leading in terms of some of the research that they're doing into to behaviour and particularly that of pain and the link between veterinary medicine and behavioural medicine and why we should sort of work more in conjunction with vets as behaviourists. Um, I see a lot of noise sensitivity within a kennel environment. As you can imagine, kennels yeah. are quite noisy. So we tend to see a lot of noise sensitivities that maybe weren't present before, but all of a sudden become quite prevalent in a kennel environment. Mm. And then I have had a couple of dogs. So I've only been running my business for the last six months or so, um, but I have had two two dogs already with quite significant noise sensitivities to quite abnormal noises, which we've had to, to work through different programs and sort of address in certain ways. Right. So one of the things we noticed in the, the, the literature that we've read Things like age and, and musculoskeletal pain and so on, which is making the, the noise sensitivity worse. It's almost as if the, the dog's a little bit sensitive to noise, but it, it's creaky old bones go, ow, that really hurts. Is, is that like giving the dog, here's the pain, it, it clinches a little bit because of the noise. Sorry, here's the noise. The dog maybe clinches a little bit because of the noise. And then because it's got creaky legs or it's got an arthritic joint or something that kind of makes it worse is that the kind of thing we're thinking yeah that's that's exactly it so yeah. what we think is that there's something underlying within the dog it might not even be musculoskeletal it could be gut pain it could be um sort of an injury that has now resolved itself but was prevalent at the time um yeah. and the idea is that startle response causes the dog to jump everything tenses up they associate the noise with pain and then they start to anticipate pain, even if they may not feel it in the presence of that noise. In that in that situation then, so that's interesting. So even if the pain we can say sort of may have effectively disappeared, then the noise phobia or the noise sensitivity will still be there. So is that is that what we're saying? Potentially, yeah. Like like the memory. Of, yeah. So I remember when there was a bang and it made my dodgy hip hurt but my hip's better now but the memory retain remains is that yeah i guess then my question would be is if we've established that the pain is now gone but the noise sensitivity is still there is that then we would is that then when we would pursue a desensitization protocol after we've fixed the pain component yeah and for me i i so i work off veterinary referral before i see any behavior consults i i will always 
send back to the vet if anything doesn't add up for me and I will start with pain management um, or investigation right. of, of medical before I even touch the dog, before I even go near any behaviour plans. You see, it's interesting this because as a behaviourist and trainer, my policy, I think a lot of people's policy, is to dive in with some kind of desensitisation programme. Yeah. Dive straight in. What do you do with noise? Oh, you don't worry about noise. We can work on that. You know, we expose the dog to a little bit of noise or we expose the dog to noise and do things in the background and work with it rather than thinking, ooh, I wonder if there's something underlying. It's interesting, isn't it? Is, is there a way that you, you, you presumably just refer to vets first to check out pain and so on? You, you don't have a protocol where it might identify a pain as opposed to just a dog that's a bit spooked by noise? Yeah, so, I mean, for me, I tend to find a dog is very rarely presenting with noise sensitivity without something else. Right. So quite often there's there's loads of studies that suggest that noise sensitivities and separation related issues are quite well interlinked. Um, there's quite I almost did my dissertation on that, but decided it was far too big a topic to try and delve into. Well, I don't suppose you could do another, could you? <laughs> um, give me a spare year free and, um, <laughs> and fund me and I'll go for it. Can I, yeah, can so, I help fund that? It's only 10,000 words. Come on. <laughs> um, in what, what way? Just give us a brief outline on that one, could you, if you could. So we're not exactly sure why there is a link, but we we see sort of that that link quite strongly. And actually, the cases I've seen have had a combination of both separation and noise sensitivity. I tend to find noise sensitive dogs tend to be more generally anxious anyway. Um, I mean, in my um, research, uh, one of the things I was looking at is how owners perceive their dogs. So did they perceive the dogs as friendly, lively, excitable, nervous? And a lot of dogs that displayed the noise sensitivity and showed pain or had pain that was um, since found, the owners described their dogs as more temperamentally anxious. Right. Um, so I think noise sensitivity is part of a wider problem within a lot of dogs. Um, Sorry, so... Sorry to interrupt. So you think that there's probably other behavioural problems that are going on as well as the noise sensitivity and it's rarely just that problem on its own? Yeah, I would say so. And unless unless there's been a significant event that can be tracked, so I don't know, dog was in the garden as next door let firework off um, yeah. or something like that that's really obvious, more often than not, the dog wasn't... <laughs> More often than not, the puppy wasn't wasn't sound sensitive from eight weeks, ten weeks, twelve weeks, whatever. They had general sort of spooked, startled responses, but actually, it was later later in life after the dog did something or they noticed something that that developed, and then oh yeah, two months later that happened, and oh yeah, a year later that happened, and quite often then you start to think. Why is the dog suddenly becoming so temperamentally anxious? Um, because, I mean, noise sensitivities aren't something that genetically or evolutionary-wise have got any adaptation really whatsoever aside from sort of moving away. But if yeah. it's that generally anxious about noises, it's not really evolutionary going to make much sense. I guess I've got a follow-up, uh, an extra question to that then. So when we say about um, maybe an experience... Uh, where the dog sort of gets more and more temper temperamentally sort of anxious is have, have there has there been much research as far as you're aware in terms of fear periods in adolescent dogs and noise sensitivities uh so that wouldn't necessarily be pain related at all that would maybe be just um more emotional yeah and i don't think i think fear periods need a lot more research in general um i think you know we say it's sometime between i don't know six and eighty six and 18 months and we don't really know how how long it lasts and when they finally come out of it and the impact the long-term impact it has when they're exposed to things at that certain age we know between two and 14 weeks they do a lot of stuff yeah. um, and there's more science on that but that adolescent period there just isn't enough to look at what the long-lasting effects of certain events are during that period I think yeah what and what you're saying is it's sort of making you can't see because obviously we're just recording but it's sort of making me smile a bit because I'm thinking of a particular client that I have at the moment with a noise sensitive dog who had quite a traumatic event when he was 11 months. So it will have been possibly smack bang in a fear period plus the noise event plus the pain. There was also a medical, it was a medical traumatic event. So try trying to establish what the cause of the, of the noise sensitivity is now that the pain is under control and the dog's uh, three years old is, is um, proving to be a little bit complicated. Yeah, and you've got that learn element as well, which is always really yeah. hard. Yeah. You could put the dog, and it's the same with any um, medical-related behavioural issue, because um, obviously we know pain can affect more than just noise sensitivities. It can affect loads of different behaviours. That You could put the dog on pain relief, but A, you'll never know if the dog is truly out of pain because we can't ask them. 
Mm. Um, And B, we don't know how much is in their head, that it's that anticipation that's never there, or they think they're in pain when they might not actually be just because they've been in pain for so long. Yes, Um, memories lingering and they think, there's the noise, oh, my God, this is going to hurt. Um, I feel like that's when I go to the gym and uh, the, the PT says, have you got any injuries? And I say, oh, yeah, I've got a bad wrist. And actually, that was like four years ago. When you were 12. <laughs> My wrist is fine, but I'm just worried about it hurting again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say that's the same thing. <laughs> yeah, you're on the right lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that surprised me with it um, when I read your paper was that it seems to be... One of the things that you always think, well, dog will grow out of it, you know, oh, we had a really bad firework display and a dog will be upset, whatever. A dog will grow out of it. But what it seems is that you're saying that the dog, as the dog gets older as well, it's probably going to get more creaky and thus more cranky and thus won't effectively grow out of it as it gets mature in years it might just continue to get worse effectively yeah definitely i mean the the whole they'll grow out of it is always a tricky one for us trainers um because we know more often than not they don't but i I think something earlier that made me laugh because they said they won't grow out of it they'll grow into it more often than not Mm. yeah um yeah anyway go on carry on (laughs) but yeah i think it's one of those things where um, if the dog is repeatedly exposed to that noise and it never becomes any more positive, then they're only going to become more and more worried about it. Mm. Yeah. So you've been to the vet. The vet's given dog a check over and said, no, there's no no issues with the dog or potentially put them on some kind of painkiller. So we're hoping now that the dog's pain has been reduced. What's the best policy then for treatment? <laughs> <laughs> What a broad question that is. (laughs) I think it depends on the noise at hand, if I'm honest. I think certain noises are much easier to go through a systematic desensitisation procedure than others. So things like fireworks, there's brilliant recordings on um, the Dogs Trust website and things like that. You can phase in at very low volumes. And Spotify, we found. Yes, and Spotify. But something like a toaster popping or a microwave pinging is a little bit more difficult to phase in because it's the same vol yeah because it's the same volume yeah. and it's that same intensity regardless you know a toaster popping you can't gradually increase the volume of a toaster popping over the course of the toaster popping because it's a very sudden noise yeah, yeah. so i think a lot of it when you've got a little noise sensitivities like that but are a daily occurrence management is your best friend so minimizing their exposure yeah well get the dog to sit in another room in a crate or get the dog to perform a specific behavior while you're doing yeah make your toast outside in the garden yeah i think that's a great (laughs) idea (laughs) maybe go back to toasting under the grill yeah you know do you you need to put your microwave meal in the microwave can you put it in the oven (laughs) the thing the thing i've noticed noticed as well with like obviously our biggest concept is fireworks isn't it i think fireworks in traffic would we say uh, gunshots around here as well. Gunshots from like clay pigeon shoots and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. Like, sounds like you live in Beirut or something, like <laughs> downtown Bronx. I'm just talking about it's it's gunshots a... in Wath. There's loads of gunshots around Wath. She wears a, a bulletproof vest. Um, <laughs> so if we're looking at, say, fireworks, one, one of the components that I've noticed that I can play the firework noises because one of my dogs is really sensitive to firework noises. We're, we're working at a football ground and some kids were playing outside and they launched a firework at ground level and it it made me sensitive to fireworks it was that loud and she's been pretty bad ever since but i can play her the noise of the fireworks and i can get it really loud and she's like yeah whatever and then you hear a firework a real firework whether it's like the shock wave the sort of compression wave or the flash outside i don't know and that just throws her completely it's it's like the noise wasn't the problem it was the whole firework experience that was a problem yeah and i think it then then you're looking at was if the noise was the the trigger as such what other things around the noise become a problem so if a dog's got worried of the toaster they might stop going in the kitchen then you've got a different issue in itself to deal with that you need to work on barriers around the kitchen and building the dog's confidence in the yeah. kitchen so, and so now the kitchen become a scary place so that yeah. corner of the kitchen with a toaster has become a scary place and we see it a lot with thunderstorm phobias because prior to a thunderstorm, quite often the humidity changes. Yeah. Um, and dogs pick up on that hours before a storm is due to to start. And how do you desensitise a dog to humidity? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Which is a precursor, which then builds up and builds up and builds up, and then by the time the thunder arrives, the dog's like really stressed. On yeah. step nine or ten, and ready to kick off, and 
really upset. And I guess so, that's where then psychoactive medication comes in, but I'm sure that's probably a topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it is an interesting concept because a lot of people really don't want to give the dogs medication. And sometimes, like we said the other week on the podcast, didn't we? It's just sometimes the best way. Uh, I think for certain for certain issues, way. if if you can't, I think we have spoken about this before, Alice. But obviously, with um, with things that you can't control. So, for example, fireworks and bonfire night is you can't make that stop. So at that point, I think drugs is is the right option, just because otherwise your dog is going to really, really struggle. I think in those cases, or, or separation anxiety, for example, people will see much quicker results often when they medicate, depending on, you know, what the, the sort of reasons for that for that problem. But I know that you're very pro-medication, uh, Alice. Yes, my own dog. I could make a podcast on talking about him, to be honest. He has pretty much every behavioural problem under the sun and noise sensitivities was um, was quite prevalent when we first adopted him. Funny enough, he's got a lot of medical problems. Um, really? And actually, for us, we didn't need to work on his noise sensitivities because once he went on the right pain relief and had had the right surgeries, his noise sensitivities pretty much disappeared. Wow, so that really does put the icing on the cake on your research, doesn't it? Yeah, and the only times he'll have a flare-up with it is when he's having a flare-up of pain. Right, so it all comes back and he's sensitive and prickly and tetchy again, and yeah. I guess that's a nice indicator for you, though, that when he is being more sensitive to noise, that you're aware that there's an issue. Yeah, and and, and usually his noises are the tip of a very, very anxious day um where he's maybe reacted to more dogs he's guarded something he's um been more avoidant of touch um and then he barks at a noise that didn't exist and it's like okay i think yeah. we're, having, we're having an off day today yeah uh, i've got a question about um something that i read on your paper that i'd like you to sort of like, explain a bit more around if that's all right yeah go for it so you mentioned i think what some of the studies were that the dogs that um, were about 22 23 months older the ones that were showing to have uh, pain as well as the noise sensitivities and that they were also observed sort of moving less laying down more um, and more negative personalities was the was the description used I just wanted to ask about how you distinguished those sort of particular behaviours from just the fact that the dogs were older. So I know, you know, mm -hmm. puppies are, move more, they don't lay down as much, and they're generally a little bit more fun than sort of slightly older dogs anyway. So was there, was there a way of distinguishing that? So this was the observations made were um, I use the University of Lincoln's behaviour clinic. These are prior cases and each case, the consult itself was recorded. So the um, ethogram that I made was based on the recordings of the dogs in the clinic. Yeah. yeah. There is always going to be an element of some dogs are going to be very worried about the clinic. Some dogs are going to be very overexcited about the clinic. Um, it's a novel environment. There's new people and things like that. It was obviously this is only the second study of its kind, pretty yeah. much. Um, the right. previous study was done a few years prior. It gives us a starting, my, my aim of my study was to give us a starting point for further research. So for further areas, I wanted to cover a very, very broad um, amount of things. And then someone plucks out and goes, hmm, that could make a study. So one of the points you've made there about yeah. whether dogs are moving because, moving more because they are younger, moving more because they are more anxious, less anxious, whatever, is something else that needs further investigation. Right. I think yeah. this is the fascinating part, isn't it? You could just, the a couple of studies about this um there's just so many things mm. that to throw questions at it's, it's, it's so open our eyes isn't it because like i say coming from a behavior background yeah we, we you dive in with desensitization don't you you just dive <laughs> straight in and then go yeah so i've got i've got there's other, there's other stuff what on earth yeah. you know well, i've got another question then because this is um until we started chatting, this isn't something that I would always think of to go to first, but wondered about where you sort of sit on the ethics of when to start dogs on pain trials. So I know this is probably quite an easy question for you, Alice, because you only get veterinary referrals. So those dogs have already seen a vet. But for a trainer or a behaviourist where the client contacts that person themselves is at what point do you decide or is there is there maybe best practice in your mind or at least in your opinion where people where vet, um, trainers and behaviorists should be asking the client to pursue the vets first or 
maybe put the dog immediately on a pain trial to rule that out first or should we at least pursue desensitization first before we consider yeah, medicating the, the dog dip a toe in the desensitization pond or yeah. just go straight to the vet first and then where do you afterwards. what what side of the fence do you sit on with that do it first, <laughs> Go to the first um, which you probably guess that answer. The reason being, I think there's a few different reasons. As a behaviourist, I want my clients to see results. And I, although we obviously can never promise things and it's a process and we can never guess and, you know, we're working through it all, we're learning at the same time. If I'm working with a client for six months and I make no progress, the likelihood of that client wanting to stay with me is pretty slim. Yeah. Um, so from a purely selfish point of view, I would err on the side of it sooner rather than later so if we are going to get results we see it sooner yeah but equally go on sorry go on carry on I was gonna say equally I think you'll never know without understanding if pain is a factor or not or addressing it or ruling it in or ruling it out you will never know if your behavior mod is a working as effectively as it should be or b whether even if it's relatively resolved if there was something going on so for me, anything behaviour related, I mean, even stuff as pulling on the lead through stress can have medical components related to it. Yeah, of course. Everything for me, I will always be wondering what if. But that's where as a behaviourist it becomes a more of a holistic approach because I'm I'm trained to analyse gait. Um, I'm trained to pick up on little things. My history forms are massive um, so that I can pick up on tiny little things that an owner might say or might write down that they think is in, insignificant. But for me, is really, really the light bulb moment that says, of course, yeah. that dog must have this. Um, so for me, it's quite yeah. a holistic approach, but I would always jump on it sooner rather than later. So I, I, I agree to a point because, because I think I also approach um, cases with a more holistic approach. So the holistic side would be to look at other aspects of the dog's life. You know, what's the daily routine like? What, you know? What are they eating? How do they interact with the family and things like that? But from what you're what you're saying is if I've got a dog where I think, oh, the dog's a bit stressed, to immediately go for medicate first, I think there's probably going to be a lot of people that find that um quite quite a lot of resistance to that yeah. or maybe quite worrying. Um what would you say in that case if someone was kind of worried about putting their dog on on medication because they were just a little bit stressed about and about something. Not just that as well, but I, I mean, I had issues with crash at the start of the year last year, and the vets aren't particularly always that forthcoming. You could see a vet, you know, I've got a bit of a I problem. I think that depends on the vet. Yeah, yeah, I think it does, but I think your average run-of-the-mill high street kind of vet sometimes is a little bit like, hmm, it seems all right, you know, why would you put them on medication? Maybe, I don't know. What do you reckon, Alice? And are we talking pain meds or are we talking psychoactive meds or both? We're talking, I think we'll, let, let's go for pain meds. Pain meds. So if, I mean, I can never obviously, I don't want to do, uh, explain why, quite often the way I phrase it to vets and is, we're seeing X, Y, and Z. If it was purely a fear-related response with nothing else attached, I would expect, on my experience, X, Y, and Z. What's not adding up for me is X, Y, and Z. Yes, and so yes. I put it out as this, this typically, I would expect this to work. I would expect you to have already, the things you've tried, I would have expected success here. I would expect your dog not to behave like this. I would expect your dog to behave like this or whatever. And for me, I lay it out as why in my head, things are not adding up the way I would expect. Yeah. Um, and then I tend to talk about the link um, and the, the startle response and things like that. but. You can never, if an owner doesn't want to do it, you don't want to do it. But more often than not, you'll start, get halfway down the process, will plateau, will progress, will stop, and we'll say, okay, can we revisit, revisit medical now? And more often than not, once they've got, sometimes you just need to give them a little and let let clients see that there is, that you do know what you're doing and that there is a little bit of success. And then they go, okay, I'll listen to you more. But so more Get a little bit of success and then say, hey, we could actually make more success if we get this vet referral checked out and we can make better, faster, more effective success. Yeah. If yeah. you get on board with the vets and potential some meds and so on and so forth. Yeah. And pain relief trials are 
typically relatively inexpensive and they there isn't a great deal of evidence to suggest they're going to cause negative side effects um, and those that do provide negative side effects there's always different medication to try but pain relief trials tend to typically last four to six weeks and I think that's four to six weeks of the 14 years of the dog's life to just rule in or rule out something that might be influencing their behavior and their quality of life. Yeah. That's such so a great yeah, such a great argument for you, it. Yeah. You would specifically ask the vet now for to for a pain relief trial rather so you, than just you, you know, have to be careful. Problem. You have to be careful how you phrase it um legally. Um you cannot be and quite often if you start demanding things to a vet that gets their backup straight away because yeah. it's not your profession, it's not your job. So as I said, I lay out what I would expect, what I don't expect, and then I think there might be um something medical going on. And as a behaviorist, I will say I would appreciate your cooperation in investigating this further. As a client with a dog with noise sensitivities and pain, I walk in there and say, Give me pain relief. <laughs> <laughs> Um, with my 25-point list of reasons why I think my dog is... Yeah, but you've got a list of reasons. It's, you're not just coming in, you know, empty-handed. You're going, hey, this, this, and this, I don't... I think the dog's got some kind of pain. We need to do some kind of trial to find out what's going off, which makes sense, doesn't it, really? I think as well, as far as clients go, for vets, you're probably <laughs> going to walk in with, like, um, a lot more knowledge uh, than the average person who goes, yeah. oh, my dog barks at, um, at, at you know the gate closing occasionally give me pain relief that's uh that's probably a lot less likely on their day-to-day thing and yeah. um, i've got a, a a question that's slightly different i don't know if you've got any more ian well i was gonna say talking. i was gonna ask was it so we've got a pain relief we've got it under control mm. um the dog's either got no pain or it's got a pain relief to hopefully resolve it do we just start, dive into a desensitization program is that your sort of best policy, best practice? Yeah, I think yeah. the majority of the time desensitization is effective. It's easy to track. So it's easy to track progress. Um, and if we're plateauing or if we're going backwards and things like that, you could you can make it very um quantitative. So with the volume button, what volume are we at? Yeah, record your dog score on a scale of one to five, what's their reaction like? You can make it very easy to track. Yeah. Um and it's fairly easy for clients to understand it doesn't require a lot of complex sort of terminology and understanding or skill set really yeah um it just requires owner education on understanding body language um and knowing when to move on to the next step and good record keeping really yeah that makes sense doesn't it yeah it does yeah i'm uh i like that a lot i i was gonna ask so it's it's still on the same topic but slightly removed um with puppies so if you're trying to kind of bolster your puppy so that sort of future proofing, I guess, so the socialization process, do you have any opinions on the best uh, ways of socializing puppies with sound? So obviously we've got lots and lots of ideas around how to socialize dogs with uh, other dogs, with people, with textures, with different walks, with weathers, all the rest of it is. What's your kind of go to for socializing puppies with weird sounds or loud bangs and things like that? So um, in my puppy classes that I run, I um, at some point over the course of the six weeks will drop a metal spoon onto a hard floor. Um, I pre-warn the owners that I'm about to do it. Um, they have a handful of treats at the ready. I don't do it right next to a puppy's head. Um, I do it at the other <laughs> side of the room and I basically lob the spoon onto the floor. Uh, it makes a very loud clangy noise. All the puppies go, ah, panic. And then owners just dump, dump their treat pouch on the floor with the puppy. Yeah. There is always the risk that the odd sensitive puppy will struggle with that more than others. But if I knew the puppy was super sensitive, I would ask them to leave the room before I did it. Yeah. Um, there is an element of flooding within that um, where you are exposing the dog to the full stimulus where they are going to get stressed yeah. by it. Um, but they're going to have to cope with startle responses in everyday life. Yeah. And for me, if I've got a dog that, cannot come recover well enough from that startle response that's when i'm saying okay i think we need to do some more confidence building in x y and z areas that aren't just noise sensitivities that are the wider the wider yeah. world but that's about, usually the puppy in the back that you know is going to be worried yeah what about your thought as well because some some of the something i've not ever considered which really annoyed me <laughs> i um, do this all the time but, <laughs> but getting the dog to make noises so we, we start talking about things like clack-clack boards. We start talking about things like um, 
can curtains and you were talking about so yeah so this is my this is my favorite thing so i i like to do noise creation games so the first thing i do is teach puppy or teach the old the adult dog to knock something over onto a carpet so teach the behavior first and then gradually make that louder so maybe knock something over onto harder floors then start adding um harder objects so that they make more of a clatter sound and i like noise creation because like you just mentioned there is when we make the sound there's a risk of what you, like of the flooding um whereas if you can get the dog to make their own sound then they can be in control of when that happens they know what's coming they know what to expect um yeah. i guess i'm just wondering like what your that. thoughts are on that i like that i tend to do a lot of um puppies walking over tinfoil that kind of thing because obviously we know textures and floor surfaces are a massive part of socialization that's often underestimated um and if we can get puppy to tackle two birds with one stone essentially and and work around the floor but also they're making noises it eventually most of the time they they find it becomes really really fun and they end up crackling it for because it gets a reaction and they end up dragging (laughs) the room and having a great time (laughs) yeah that, that makes sense yeah i just think i've seen i've seen better results with this is just when we're talking pure desensitization is when i've had dogs that are afraid of noises if we like shut a cupboard door to create a noise and then drop a load of food on the dog sometimes even that is quite scary because the dog doesn't know when it's coming and so they start to get a bit on edge through the session whereas if we make these games so i've had i've got a cockapoo at the moment that's knocking over like it's a bottle with a saucepan lid on top so when it hits the ground, it's like quite an echoey, quite a kind of reverberating sound. And when we first started doing that, he was a little bit uh, startled. And now he just runs and sends it flying and really enjoys that. And that's kind of getting him used to those sorts of, I guess it's the different types of sound as well. Are you seeing benefits these, even if, if you make the noise now, is he less sensitive? Well, we're still, we're still very, still very early days, yeah. yeah. So yeah. we'll start sort of building in me making sounds again because obviously eventually we're gone, we want him to be uh, comfortable when, he, when there is an unusual sound. But at the moment, he's in a bit of a, a bubble wrap at the moment. <laughs> you make a good point there that actually if you're making the noise and dumping food on the dog's head and it's still scary, you can end up making food scary. Yeah, yeah, you can end yeah. up what we call yeah. poisoning the queue, where where food, scary. Yeah. where food becomes anticipatory of something scary, and then they can't yeah. even eat. Do you know what? Uh, I've got a funny anecdote on not not with food, but I Roxy is sensitive to fireworks, and I used a thunder jacket to try and help. And uh, I accidentally taught her that the thunder jacket meant that fireworks were coming. Yeah. Because I put the jacket I on. probably do 95% of people. I think most yeah, people must do shirt. this, yeah. Oh, it's bombs way on. Just put your thunder shirts on, dog like, oh, crap. I mean, we're talking, we're talking five, coat. yeah. We're talking five years ago, but um, yeah. yeah, it's my, this is the coat that means that the, the sound is coming. Yeah. Um, which is just like the, the you know, the sensitization to the, the food being scary as well, like you just mentioned, Alice. There's so many cues. Noise sensitivity is a very, very, very small part of the actual fear itself. Mm. Yeah. So, anecdotally, worse than best breeds? For noise sensitivity. Mm. (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, if you're going from a a pain perspective, we all know the certain breeds that are more likely to be predisposed to medical problems and pain-related problems than others, Um, my dog being the prime breed (laughs) uh, for medical problems, um, being a bulldog cross. But I didn't find anything breed-wise um, in my study. Crossbreeds were more prevalent, but I think crossbreeds are more prevalent across the yeah. Um, So it's difficult to know whether it is actually representative or not. There was some studies to suggest that um, pedigrees are less sensitive, but there's also studies that say pedigrees are more sensitive. I think it's something that needs that needs more research. A lot of um, research suggested that smaller breeds were more sensitive rather than larger breeds. And and they've done that via weight or they've done that via, via breed itself. But I think it's still a very open, open topic. There's yeah. some evidence to suggest Labradors are, but then Labradors are pretty much the most common breed in the UK. So yeah, representative what, what biased. Yeah. My Labrador definitely is. Yeah. Do you think maybe part of that as well is um, a lot of Labradors are uh, working dogs and so they're around gunshot sounds a lot more? Yeah, I mean, like exposed Labradors and Spaniels are exposed to gunshot, I suppose, which 
yeah. will then say, hey, this lever does scare the guns. And Whereas possibly more active as well than your average. will get exposed to guns pretty much unless it's by accident. Yeah. And even just genetically, you know, going way, way, way back hundreds of years, your Labradors and Spaniels are more likely to encounter things scary than, say, your Maltese and your Shih Tzu. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, just because yeah, they worked like, more, so they're, more, they're more likely to get injured. And they're more, more record of it. Yeah. And like you said, they're more likely to get injured, they're more likely to have aches and pains because they've spent all week running around in some thorny bushes. Mm. And then guess what? There's a bang at the end of it. And they go, bloody hell. Yeah. Rather than the Shih Tzu that's spent all week on a cushion. Got no aches and pains. Just eats the best food. Gets and some well. breeds are more stoic than others. Yeah, I mean the stoic thing is one to go for, isn't it? As well, it's something to consider. But the dog just sort of puts up with it. Like Paddy, Paddy used to hate fireworks. We didn't really kick off. We just went and sat in the utility. He's <laughs> <laughs> just, he's just like, oh, oh, fireworks, bloody hell! I he think... actually dragged his blanket in the utility and yeah. made himself a little bed. Well, this is interesting because that that I mean. That's where people think that the dogs are fine, don't they? And I'm saying fine with, like, you know, little quotation marks is, are there more dogs that aren't fine, but the way that they display the noise sensitivity is so subtle that we probably don't know? So then maybe there'd be um, an argument for the fact that there are some breeds that are more prevalent Mm. with noise sensitivities, but we just wouldn't notice. Because if your Saluki just went and hid with his blanket, we go, oh, he's just having a nap. Yeah. I look at him, I think. He really don't like the fireworks, but his way of dealing with it was just to go, yeah, I know the score. Whereas, away from it. whereas Roxy will eat, eat, yeah. the, eat the door off the hinges, yeah, uh, but crash, she shuts down, yeah, she shuts down, she doesn't, she refuses to work, she refuses to participate yeah. in life. Oh, I've really enjoyed that, Alice, yeah, that's fantastic. Anything you'd like to add, Alice, before we? No, I think um, I think that summarises it. Other than if you ever want to talk about pain and behaviour again, bring me back. Absolutely. <laughs> do, do you want to uh, tell us where we can get in touch with you? Just in case we've got people out there that need a puppy class with um, spoons and tinfoil being dropped. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, my business is called Educating Paws. Um, I'm based in um, Retford, North Nottinghamshire, but I cover South Yorkshire, Lincolnshire and Nottinghamshire. My website is educating-paws.co.uk and on there has got all information about me and how to get in touch. That's awesome. Really appreciate your time. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you so again. much. That was fantastic. And we're done. And we're done. So that was that. That was the interview. Yeah. How did you think that went? What did you think? Enjoyed it. Made I enjoyed think, that a lot. Made me stop and think about a few things. There's some bits that Alice brought up there that I probably wouldn't have considered uh, until having these conversations with her. But definitely that I think when your dog is doing something and you've tried training and you're trying to attempt to, to change behavior and it doesn't seem to be working yeah. is there's probably something underlying that we haven't thought about yet. Yeah. And that could be, I mean, obviously Alice's um, research was musculoskeletal pain, but then there could be gut pain, there could be neuropain, there could be, you know, something Something else, else underlying. Maybe like allergies yeah. that make the dog uncomfortable yeah. that could be changing how they feel in that particular situation. Certainly if, uh, whenever we do some kind of behaviour amendment, Generally speaking, we'll monitor and we'll measure and we'll make notes and we'll keep records. If you're doing something on your own, keep records. But then you can look back at it and go, hang on a second, I've been I've been in the right thing for three weeks now and there's been no change in my dog. Maybe barking at the wrong tree. Maybe I do need to get that, that help. Either your yeah, either your training program needs some tweaking or maybe there's something more going on with your dog that you hadn't considered. I mean I I've had uh, cases where we've started on a desensitization pro- pro- program or we've started some counter conditioning for something and then we've maybe noticed that the dog is um, moving in an unusual way yeah uh, and um, in fact i can think of one straight off the top of my head we've been working for dog reactivity and his owner mentioned to me that he skips occasionally and when we sort of pursued it further and asked her to, or maybe, you know, go and ask your vet about that, could be something wrong with his knees or his hips or something like that. And he had, uh, I think it was like a grade three luxating patella. Wow. So, he, yeah, and once he sort of received a bit of whatever the, the vet did with that, I can't remember if they had surgery or it was like physio or something. Um, but the reactivity, it's still there a little, but it's reduced enormously if you think about because the chain, of pain medication. It's like we're talking, well, Alice was talking about, you know, the dog's out for a walk. 
The legs are being sore. Yeah. Feeding another dog tenses and freezes up. What does the tension do? Puts tension in the leg. The leg hurts, hurts even yeah. more. The dog thinks, heck, this is not good and kicks off a little bit. Dog is away. Dog relaxes. Pain goes away. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a no-brainer really good, when you yeah. start to think about it. So if you uh, do have a phobic, noise phobic dog or something where you think maybe it's worth a vet check, um, but you're waiting for that vet appointment and you know that you know your dog's going to be quite stressed Ian, have you got any ideas on sort of maybe calming remedies? Yeah, nice I, I, I swear by plugins. You know the which plugins? Uh, the what are you called? The hormonal ones. Um, Is it Adaptil? Adaptil, that's the yeah. one. Yeah, we use it for the cats. We had issue with the cats. Peel I think that's Feliway, isn't Feliway it? way for the yeah. for cats. Yeah, um, and it works. They work fairly well. You can get Feliway sprays as well. Do you know? Funny, I, think, so. I tried Adaptil and I found it had no effect. Really. Yeah, but I think it's different yeah. for each dog, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's it's supposed to be the pheromone that's given off from the the mother's chest when they lactate when they're young. Oh right. And it makes them feel all hungry and puppyish, I think. You know. Lovely. Lovely. But yeah, it can work. Uh, there's lots of other things like thunder shirts. You ever used a thunder shirt? So I uh, <laughs> admission in the interview, I think, wasn't that? Was that in the interview? Did yeah. we cut it out? I'll say it again. I accidentally taught Roxy that the production of a thunder shirt meant that the fireworks were coming. Yeah. So I think if you are going to use any of these remedies to help calm your dog, is be careful that you don't use them as a cue. Do it randomly. Yeah, do it a bit randomly. Randomize Get them used it. to wearing the thing in the first yeah. place. Um, something I like doing, uh, or using, sorry, is like fresh lavender scent. Mm. So not plugins or fake scents, but it needs to be sort of the yeah. real thing. Um, but maybe just having like lavender pillows around, things like that. It's Which just is nice and yeah. Stuff grows like weeds, plant it in your garden. Oh, yeah, I love it. Look at the garden full. I personally like the smell as well. Yeah, so that it's not disagreeable, is it? So There has been some um, evidence to suggest that giving your dog oats... Uh, can help calm. Yeah, them. some calming. I've seen uh, that diets uh, jumping about. Um, so calming diets, things like oats, just to help you mm. know feed them like a sort of heavy diet yeah. just before, so they're a bit more sleepy. And I believe that uh, there's different types of classical music. So I think dogs trust. Well, you play death metal to your dogs. I play metal. <laughs> To, I play death metal <laughs> to drown out the sound of the fireworks. Yeah, it's not relaxing, though. But to relax them up until the point of the heavy metal concert, yeah. we use uh, classic. We can use classical it's music. Like having sort of Tchaikovsky as a support band, and then yeah. Do you know what else is great? Actually, uh, on that note, is it's it's both got the calming properties of the classical music and the drowning out properties of the death metal. Is Japanese taiko drums, T A I K O taiko. Yeah. Uh, Japanese taiko drums, it's like this rhythmic uh, drumming sound. Like mesmerising. Really mesmerising, but it's quite heavy, and so it's mm-hmm. calming, but it also drowns out the fireworks. That's quite good. Have you used white noise? Uh, yeah, but that sends me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I've never used it. I've, I've, I've heard uh, people have used it too as a distraction sort of noise. Never used it myself. The taiko drums I've probably had the most success with. with probably sounds more fun than white noise as well. Yeah, a sort of dance around the kitchen. There's metal in the living room, there's taiko drumming in the kitchen, yeah. and then there's normally classical music upstairs. And it's like a weird kind of... If you stand in the hallway, it's horrific. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so different playing... Different so yeah, for all you single sounds. people out there, you can do that. For people who've got families or living out with other people, <laughs> perhaps best not to. Yeah. No, maybe not. My headphones for dog. Maybe that'll work. Um, you can get head wraps. You can, you can, yeah. You can get proper headphones as well for their dogs that work in high noise environments. Can you? Yeah, we've not seen them. Right, that's what I'm doggles, doing. Doggles, doggles for airport dogs and, uh, and doggles and and doggy ear muff things. Ear muffs. Yeah. Ear muffs. Uh-huh. Ear muffs. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that wraps up noise sensitivity for now. We might venture into it again in future, you never know. I find it really interesting. I'd, I'd love to speak to Alice about it again. Um, mm. Definitely keep an eye on some of the literature that's coming out because I think, like she pointed out, there's just not enough at the moment yeah. for us to make a definitive answer yeah. uh, on how to how to help. And it's nice because dogs. it opened our eyes to a few things and we had a bit of a deep dive and a, a, a nerdgasm into, uh, into nerdgasm and so on. Uh, yeah, good. it was good. Enjoyed it. Uh, so, last thing we're going to do today, we're not going to do a book review, are we? Because we've not actually read any books. 
We've got a book review in the background that we've both... I've been carrying this book around for six months and I've still not read it. I've read it before, but I need to refresh it. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do this week, we're going to do a, a video review, aren't we? Because, because TikTok's a thing. Um, and we love TikTok because it's such an easy way to waste four or five hours. I personally um, am not that into TikTok. <laughs> but we all like these videos and we like to see people doing things we I don't. I don't mind people sending me videos, yeah. TikTok videos, but I personally, because of my own addictive personality, have to stay away from TikTok. Yeah. Otherwise, I find that I disappear for five days and pop out the other end having not showered because <laughs> I've been looking at videos for about... <laughs> About 120 hours. That's such a good picture you're painting. It's not good. Death metal in your kitchen, taiko drums in your lounge. Yeah. You watching TikTok videos for five days and not showering. <laughs> it's wow. Not, it's not good. It, it's not. It's not healthy for no. me. It's not. It sound like a way to live. No. Uh, so we're going to do a video, a quick video review. Say we'll post a link in the show notes, and we'll also post the video on the Havoc and Chaos page on uh, Wednesday when the. the this episode six comes out. Yeah. So this is by Competitive Canines on TikTok. So can you spell that? So it's competitive, competitive and then K9S um, on TikTok. Like I so said, we'll put the links up. And she clearly loves the dogs. She clearly spends far too much time training. And her bio says that she does dancing dogs and stuff like that, tricks, and also stunt dogs, which is quite exciting. And this is when the Wednesday Adams song was like all the rage on TikTok. So we're going to watch it now. So she's got two dogs. Um, she's doing stalls. She's doing jumping through arms. She's got dogs walking in reverse between legs, back stalls. Oh, wow. Oh. And that's working two dogs at once as well, which is cool as heck. Just look at that. Stunning. Can you, uh, have you taught your dogs any tricks yet? No. Well, <laughs> I, I say no. We'll, we'll stop the video now because we're just sitting and watching videos for us today. What do you think to it? I think she's incredible. She, yeah. She's, um, trick training is like my second love. I absolutely yeah. think it's so good. These, these, what she's doing with some of her dogs there is kind of what my intention with Havoc was. Obviously, he's still quite young, so yeah. I haven't done any of the, the more impact intense uh, yeah. tricks yet so the back stalls the the rebounds all yeah. that stuff but just watching her do that makes me feel inspired that i yeah. feel like i'm going to do that this week and i'm going to teach him so the the backwards orbit around the body i didn't i did start trying to do that and then uh, he wasn't very good at it straight away and so i stopped <laughs> so he lost interest so, so i lost interest and i taught him something else <laughs> but like the things like the rebound and the backstall and the the jumping through the hooped arms all that sort of stuff it just looks so cool and it isn't that complicated no, it's not that complicated it, it, and for all those people, we often see people on Facebook and so on saying, oh, it's demeaning to the dog. What? You know what? It's not demeaning to the dog at all. The dog doesn't even understand. Nobody, the dog think, understand. nobody says that. All the dog thinks they, they do. I've seen it. Who says I've that? I've heard trainers say it. It's demeaning to the dog. And the dog just has a good time. Bill's bond, if you can hear a tearing noise, it's, it's a little havoc eating. What is it? Is it an elephant or something? It's a dinosaur. It's a blue dinosaur. Yeah, it Abby? was. Um, but yeah, all that that interaction. We love trick training, don't we? It's so much fun. Just interact with you, your dog. And your your um, homework between now and next recording. Well, I have actually started. Have you? I have started. Yeah, I've started working little chaos with following hands. Yeah. Because it's a starting point, spin and twist. And this afternoon, I started working on what's going to either develop into a chest stall or a jump into arms. Oh, that's ah, cool. You see, so I've actually been doing something. Okay. Yeah, so. Well, where she, bump, she jumps, bounces off your chest? Yeah, it's bad. I feel like I don't really want that. <clears throat> right, okay. You're going to do that one. I'm going to teach an orbit... For, for for people that aren't in the, the tricky world, orbit is where your dog runs in a circle backwards around your body. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to introduce Havoc to an orbit, I think. And I also want to have the starter of... 
What do we reckon? Jump through arms? Or... Jump through arms is nice. Or... Too, it looks nice. Or backstall? Backstall. I find backstall quite easy. Meg used to do backstall. I've got backstall. Shall I Chest try fault, that? isn't it? That's what I'm talking about. Chest fault. Yeah. Um, yeah, like backstall's that. easy because you just do a... I, I start it lying down and dogs into my back and... Yeah. Click reward, click reward, click reward. Higher, click reward, click reward. I had footstall as well. I had footstall with me. She could do a footstall. And then you lie on the floor with her feet up. Oh, do you know what? We're going to do all of it, have you? Ready? Going to be trick training world this week. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think for listeners, uh, we're going to introduce a couple of tricks. Yeah. Check out, if you're on TikTok, uh, check out Companion Canines and try and take some inspiration. Competitive. Competitive. Competitive, sorry. Canines. Competitive. Links will be there. Competitive canines. Uh, take some inspiration from some of yeah. her videos and then uh, stick your video attempts on the Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, send us some video efforts. See what you can do. But for all those people out there thinking about, well, what do I do with my dog? You know, weather's horrible. It's all cold and frosty. And then we're down the pavement without falling over. Sit in the lounge and teach them some tricks. They'll love it. You'll love it. And just think when they do a cool trick and you can get it on video. And it'll be like that one shot that you did and the other 99 were awful. But when you get that one on video, yeah, video in your best life, and you put it on Facebook and all your friends go, oh my God, can your dog do that? Think how proud you'll be. <laughs> think how proud you'll be. I think that's a wrap. That's a wrap. That's the end of episode six. So, as usual, you can get in touch with us on Facebook, Havoc and Chaos. On Instagram, Havoc and Chaos. You can find us on the Canine Solution on TikTok. And you can get in touch with me at ian at caninesolution.com. And you can get in touch with me at uh, fetchclubinfo at gmail.com or fetchclubofficial on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Yeah. Happy days. Catch you in two weeks. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.